Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone. My name is Alex Terpkosh, and this is Tonal Identities. Whether you are here to listen to new music or understand how our lives impact our musical identities, I hope you enjoy the show. Join me today is wonderful saxophonist and educator, Manny Green. Hello and welcome. Hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. So let's get started. What's your background in music or instrument background, if you have any? Yeah. Um, so I'm currently finishing up my degree at um, Gustavus Adolphus College as a music education major. Um, I want to teach a little bit after that and then probably go get a grad degree um, in conducting. Um, so that's kind of my like what I'm doing right now. Um, how I got into this, though, um, I started playing saxophone in the sixth grade. And I come from a non-musical family. So picking an instrument was kind of kind of not something that my family was comfortable with. And so when I picked my instrument, I like you have like your top three. So my first one was, I think it was, my first one was saxophone. My second one was baritone. And I don't remember what my third one is. But we came, we came to the school on like, and met the band director. And then it was like, okay, here's the instrument you're going to play. And she's like, can you play the baritone? And then I'm like, during the headlights, I'm like, and I start bawling because I'm like, I want to play the saxophone. And she's like, okay, 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 okay. You can play the saxophone. I was like, okay, thank you. So I played saxophone starting in sixth grade when I was living in Missouri because that's when they started me. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't too much of a band kid, but um, in, in middle school at least, and I was ready to quit going into high school. Um, but I was, so I, I didn't do like any other activities in middle school though. So my dad was like, no, Manny, you have to do something. So he's like, you're going to join marching band. Because you play the saxophone, it kind of just makes sense. You can you can do marching band once you join high school. So I did marching band this summer going into high school, so going into ninth grade, and fell in love with it. Met a bunch of people and like actual friends. Like I think I probably had like three or two or three friends, you know, in middle school, and then like I just like blossomed in high school. So joining a marching band, that was like okay, I have friends now. This is fun. I'm actually getting better at my instrument. So I did marching band, I did jazz band, then I did pit orchestra, then I did like jazz combo and like all this other stuff so it's just like the definition of a band kid going into high school and then going through high school I was kind of trying to figure out where I wanted to be like what what job I wanted to do and I was thinking like do I want to be a therapist do I want to be a doctor do I want to be a dentist kind of something like that something that I'm going to work with people and I eventually decided like you know what I can't live without band like this is just too much fun you know so senior year I'm like I'm gonna apply Gus Davis and at like the direction of my band director um, Brent um, he just he was like I was between Gustavus and Eau Claire and um, he was just like man you're going to Gustavus like that's just gonna fit you a lot better and boy am I happy that I went to get Gustavus really good really good education I, I feel like I got there I met a lot of really cool people like you and it's just been a really good time so I'm excited to be finishing up and then going on with the rest of my life and teaching and whatnot you have no regret for any of that stuff. You're you're happy with like exactly how your life went and everything, and that even yeah. like way way back to like when you started. I've asked some other people this, but do you uh, wish you started on a different instrument even after all of this? Um, I think the saxophone has given me a lot of great opportunities to play in a lot of different ensembles and not have to learn a different instrument. So I could like do jazz band and pep band and everything. So I'm really happy with that, and I think the sax like one tidbit about me is that I have an arm disability. So it's harder for me to play like trumpet. Um, so like 
you could be like, oh, well, Manny could play trumpet or trombone in jazz band. Well, just how like the saxophone fits on like ergonomically on your body, like the saxophone is like almost perfect for me. So I'm really happy about how that went. Um, but I'm a huge fan of the euphonium, which is kind of funny because that was my second instrument. That's what they were gonna try to switch me to. So, um, yeah. So that's that's just that's just that. But I'm 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 very happy with that how saxophone went and how where I'm at right now. So that's that's good to hear. I mean, I think it's after I feel like at the beginning it's really easy to like not like your instrument after a few years, but then after like six or seven years or like once you get to like high school and like actually kind of get good you start to like appreciate it again because you don't sound mm -hmm. like dog water the whole time yep i agree All like right. a dying duck on the saxophone yeah i yeah yeah, yeah. it's There's... good now. it's good now <laughs> so what's your first memory of music yeah so i was thinking about this and kind of how i was going to go about this i was the thing i'm going to talk about was like oh it's just something it's just like that's my exposure to music you know what i mean exposure to something that's just sound it's noise and then i was thinking about like oh well in college i felt like this big connection to like the people and i feel like that's like the greater meaning of music and everything and like how it brings people together and there's like a deeper meaning and everything and i was like wait a minute manny this story the, the story that i'm about to say is like exactly that i just had to think a little harder so the first memory of music that i thought about um going way back to when I was like a toddler was my mom would hum to me. She'd hum to me, um, Johannes Brahms lullaby. And I didn't know that it was this, this lullaby. I just thought it was like something she heard before or something, whatever, maybe she made up. Um, but she would hum to me. Like if I was crying or whatever, like I would sit on her lap, cry on her shoulder and she would hum me this, this tune. And like that's me bringing us having this connection like she's consoling me like there's a connection between me and my my mother and like so that's like that is music you know what i mean it's bringing people together it's it's sound it it's meaningful you know what i mean so it's like crazy to think that i'm i come from a like a non-musical family that like listens to like they they appreciate music it's not like they hate music or anything like they like music but they don't play in, any instruments or like sing or whatever so it's just like coming from that and then my mom being able to do this and like showing how deep this connection of music can start like even just something simple like humming a lullaby to your crying child you know what i mean so that's just kind of something that i was kind of was like oh my like this is cool so well i think so that's also something that like i think a lot of people can relate to is when you live in a non-music family like myself as well they almost appreciate it more because you know you don't have like the ear for like when it sounds like mm. trash mm -hmm. and so they kind of just like it's nice it's nice there's no like pressure mm -hmm. to be the best because i guess within the family you're already the best after like a year right right and like you can like i can perform something in my brain i'm like that sucked like that was garbage I wish like all my preparation was better than this performance and whatever. And then my mom and dad will be like, man, that was like the best thing ever. I'm so proud of you. Like, and they like fully mean it. You know what I mean? Like they don't, they have no idea in their mind that it's, it was bad. Like you think, and like, we're all self-critical and whatnot, but it's just, yeah. Coming from a non-musical family, like it's the support that I have had is really nice. When we definitely, we definitely need some of those people in the world that have no idea what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so here's a little bit of the lullaby that Manny was talking about.
just imagining like it's very nice we're like singing this my kid like that high part like what i sound like <laughs> <laughs> terrible <laughs> started with um some music and I'll I'll start us off. So as this piece picks up, this is Le Verre du Jour from Daphne et Chloé by Maurice Ravel. This is an opera. So the performer of this is the Berlin Phone, and I used to listen to this song when walking to class as the sun was rising because we all know that we have class A at AM and it's terrible, but that brings, it brings so much hope to the day, and I also did that before I understood the background of this piece, um, which I'll get to in a second. And the middle, you'll see is a little wobbly in the soundscape, but it's so joyful and bright at the end, and the chimes that will ring, it's just... was originally commissioned by Sergei Diaghilev for the Ballet Russes and was premiered in 1912 in the Théâtre du Châtelet in Paris. Once again, might have butchered that, but that's close. This piece is also to, like believed to be one of Ravel's best works. And so it's a story about lovers who were abandoned at a young age and then raised by shepherds and through all their little adventures they fall in love. But they were kidnapped, so like that's not great. But the current part being heard is like the third part of the work, and it represents like the sunrise coming over the landscape and when they find each other after being kidnapped. But like other than the kidnap part, it's a really, really like beautiful story. And so I will move us on towards like the ending here. to another really beautiful piece that Manny actually showed me a few years ago. Yeah, so this is um, Robert Schumann's Im Wunderschöner Monat Mai. And I found this piece actually in Music History 2 um, with Dr. Moore teaching us. And um, this piece is just, especially this version with, um, this is Ian Bostridge. He's an English tenor and he's singing right now. And um, this is, it's just like this piece that's just like 
wants to give me a big hug and I like I could die to this piece. And it's just so it's just so lovely. And it's nice and short. And I think it's the first piece in this song cycle that Robert Schumann wrote. And um, I'll I'll read the English translation for everybody. Um, here's the English translation. In beautiful May, when the buds sprang, love sprang up in my heart. In beautiful May, when the birds all sang, I told you my desire and longing. And I don't know, it's just like there's other other singers that do this and it's very well. Like any any other version that you listen to, it's gonna sound awesome like this, but this version is just it's something else. And so for listeners, I'm already repeating the piece. Like it's it's straight yeah. up just a minute and a half, but it's like as soon as we step away from English for a little bit and even like before you know what the like words actually mean it's just mm -hmm. so soothing yep like this is more so what I would sing to my kids over the lullaby you know mm -hmm. if I could sing this but <laughs> if you were a professional tenor one day one day All right, moving on. So this is On the Nature of Daylight, but transcribed for saxophone, quartet, and cello. It's written by Max Richter. Richter, Richter. And the performer is the Signum Saxophone Quartet, and the cellist is Halo Carney. So Richter originally wrote this piece in 2003 to protest the Iraq War, the original version of this, the full orchestra one. And this piece has been used in numerous films, as you'll see kind of how like spacious and beautiful it is um, as it goes on, but it's been used in like Arrival, Shutter Island, Togo, which is a Disney film, and Jiro Dreams of Sushi, and many, many more. But if you haven't list, um, watched any of those films, I highly recommend Arrival or Jiro Dreams of Sushi. And so right now we're just hearing some of the low voices before the soprano sax kind of comes in and holds the melody. So I honestly don't understand if someone doesn't like this song because I think it's just written too well. <laughs> um, the beginning just builds, like I said, until the soprano comes, but then even in its original orchestral form, it it doesn't bring like happiness or fear. It just, to me, it's just something tragic or sad. And there's not much in between because of how much it pushes and pulls with the, like, a, the cello being warm but also just having a string with like such a I guess like a pure saxophone it just like pulls against it and even like the dissonance of the high notes that the soprano will bring out it just doesn't feel like it actually resolves 
really recommend everyone to like listen to that whole piece. It's it's so good. Alright. Moving on to something that's a little less um pretty. <laughs> Okay, so this is, if you're a band person, this is like one of the top five probably for famous band pieces. Um, this is Holst's first suite, and this one especially is the March, so the third movement. And um, this is the United Space Marine Brand with Frederick Fennell conducting it. Um, yeah, so this is, this is a great piece um, for me personally. Um, this is the, this is the, this movement especially right here where the sax ones come in, um, and everything. This melody. Um, this melody right here is, like, what made me love the saxophone. And just how it sits, I don't know, it goes down to, I think, low B or low C or something like that, but, um, man, it was just, like, I just got a new, a new saxophone thanks to my parents in, uh, in high school, and this thing was just, like, butter on my saxophone. I was like, this is, like, the most fun thing ever. And it was, like, one of the first like multi-movement things I've ever done, which is kind of crazy. Like it's whole first suite, like it's not an easy piece, but um, so one of the first multi-movement things I've done, and it was just like, this is band. Like this is so cool. So this piece especially is like what made me love band. Um, so some more about the piece. Um, Holst first wrote this piece in 1909, but it wasn't premiered until 1920. So 11 years difference. Kind of weird. Um, so this whole piece, the three movement piece, was written for 19 musicians, which kind of set up the basis for Frederick Fennell's um, creation of the Wind Ensemble at Eastman, Eastman when he was there at Eastman for, it wasn't a very long time, I think it was like 10 years, but yeah, so he created the Wind Ensemble at Eastman. Um, so like some, I've, I've seen a video of, I think the University of Michigan with uh, Michael Haithcock, I think they did this piece with just the 19 musicians. So that's kind of cool. So you can do it with 19, you can do it with a full symphonic band. And man, it's just a, it's a great piece. I especially, um, I'd recommend, this movement's great, but now coming back to it, the second movement, like hands down, my favorite one of the three. Um, the first one with the churning chacon, that kind of just moves about, that pulse rights, that's wonderful. There's the middle section of the second movement, that's just like, like, I said like I could die to the other one, I could die to the, that, sec that second half of the second movement. Like, it's just gorgeous. For our listeners, Manny and I have talked a lot about this piece. Um, I personally don't think it's as good as <laughs> But I know the history is definitely there in this piece. And I wish you could all see that he just conducted the end of that. <laughs> oh, that was so fun. It's such a good piece. All right, we're gonna move on to something, I guess, a little more not marchy. So this is uh, Robert Schumann's Carnival, Opus 9, number 12, uh, titled Chopin. The performer is Daniel Trifonov, and although the song is also only a minute and a half, it clearly serves its purpose and runs through a complete and beautiful theme.
And so something that I found so interesting about this piece is, well, first of all, Carnival doesn't refer to the event with clowns and circus animals, rather it's a notion of a ball. And so in total, there's 20 pieces, but the one playing is the 12th and it's titled Chopin because Schumann had a lot of respect for Chopin and dedicated this piece to Chopin's style. So it's just, it's a very like, I don't know, doesn't sound too hard, like I feel like it's a very approachable song, too, for like, intermediate pianists and stuff, into classical music. And so the next few songs we will be listening to are going to your little daily dose of modern. Uh, yeah, okay, so this one's, um, this is called The First Circle. It's by Pat Metheny and Lyle Mays. And it's originally composed for a smaller like combo group. Um, on their album called The First Circle. So it's the title track on that album. Um, but this version, this one's arranged, arranged by Bob Kurnow, and it's performed by Bob Kurnow's LA Big Band. And um, so I first heard a piece called Southeast Six Step. I played it in, at a summer camp. And um, it's kind of like, it has clapping, so it's really similar, and it's got like a weirder um, time signature. Um, so I, I was like jamming to that one. That one, that one rips too, but this one, um, I think it's a lot more, it's, it's a step above. It's just like a whole another tier above that piece. And like this is, it's a nine minute tune. I suggest listening the whole thing. And it's like a slow burn. So there's this, this it's, it just feels like a constant build. Like you're just running up this mountain. And by the time you get to the end, like it's just like, like I just want to scream. Like it's just like, it fires you up. So it's just, it's just a really fun piece. And I would recommend listening to the, Original Pat Metheny Lyle Mays one on the First Circle album, Pat Metheny's First Circle album, and then listen to this one, and then see which one you like better. Um, the first one in the combo setting, the melody that you'll hear, I think it's in trumpet mostly here, or flugel, and um, it's a it's a vocalist with that band, so it's it's kind of a cool timbre thing that they do in the the first one, and then in this one too. Just how I think I think it's a really great arrangement. For our listeners, the, in a previous episode, Mariah also brought on a piece from Bob Kurnow's L.A. Big Band called It's Just Talk, which is also a really, really excellent piece. But I, I like the clapping at the beginning of this a lot. It's just, it's a great piece. So, as I just mentioned, Mariah, we talked about how there's a whole controversy controversy about 
jazz and whether it should be background music or it should be actively listened to and where it kind of stands and how maybe some people don't treat it as its own like individual art form what do you think about all that um oh it should definitely be its own art form like it's if you go back to like the swing stuff like the older like the older bebop like back in like the early 1900s like that stuff like that is like almost what you can get to like the most true american music that there is you know what i mean and it's just it's it's a raw form and it's a lot of people don't like it just because i think it's too it's a freer music and i think there's so much to appreciate there and understand about like how it's about human expression and human relation to one another and like just how you can communicate with music in jazz like for it for people to consider it not even in our form that's just or like not music like that's just that makes no sense to me it's there's so much technique and knowledge and ability that you need to perform this music that it's just it's second to none here's a big build part yeah what a good piece um so this is like a newer piece obviously um but this one, uh, it, it's just, I should get a bumper sticker that says, like, support jazz, because jazz deserves it. And I'm about to feel terrible, but we are going to um, move on to the next song. But thank you for your two cents. So this is Persephone in the Garden by Adonis. With most of these songs I choose to share, I don't actually discover what the song really means until the show, because I kind of just choose based on like the tonal cloud. And like, that's usually how I decide on like, especially pop music, like what I like. And so the choral like harmonies that appear in this song is originally why I enjoyed it so much. this piece I realized that this is much much more obviously I should have you know I should realize that that lyrics kind of tell a story but you know I just don't really do that that often um, so this piece is based on the myth of Hades and Persephone from Hades perspective and so the myth is it describes how Hades saw Persephone fell in love at first sight and kidnapped her from the overworld as well as making her marry him not very kind, but it's still a very, very pretty song in how it's Hades' perspective of love.
All right, and we will move on to our final, final piece. Another one that Manny helped me kind of fall in love with. Okay, so this song is Colonial Song, and it's by Percy Granger. Um, and this is specifically, this is the Dallas Winds, conducted by Jerry Junkin. And this piece, I don't know, there's just, there's so much about this piece that there is to love about this. And the funny thing is, Alex didn't like this piece at the beginning. But by the end of it, he's like, we would like crank this up to like 11 in my car, or one of our cars, and we would just like, listen to it you know what I mean like it's it's so and it's not like we're gonna like you don't really sing along to it like you just enjoy it you just like like get washed over by the sound that Percy Granger is able to do here so a little bit about this piece Percy Granger wrote this piece in 1911 originally a piano composition for his mother Rose and a lot of his pieces started out as piano because he was a really great piano traveling piano player and obviously a lot of them turned into um, band pieces and so this one especially um, or kind of differently actually is not a folk tune like a lot of his other pieces like he's a he's one of the most famous folk song collectors and this one is his take on like his own melody that he wants to create for Austra Australia and he wanted he modeled it off of Stephen Foster's um, music that like America had and he wanted to have an Australian song that was kind of like that. So in a letter to Frederick Fennell, he, a little bit more on that, in a letter to Frederick Fennell, he says, um, an attempt to write a melody as typical of the Australian countryside as Stephen Foster's exquisite songs are typical of rural America. So basically what I just said, but that's in Percy Granger's words. And the beginning of this piece with the, the euphonium and just how it is able to capture your, with one, one note, all in the same octave, 
it captures your attention and then it just like buries and then it just like expands dramatically throughout this piece and there's a little bit of like slow dance and kind of like a little bit of like swaying or wishy-washiness in a good way though like there's so much like what's going on right now it's so and like the the pizzicato that he models in here with the band and there's just so much sonically and tamborally and everything that just makes this piece so lovely and what I love about Percy Granger's music is just how he's able to pair the brass with the woodwinds. I don't think, like, it's harder to get any better than Percy Granger. And especially how he uses the low reeds and the, the graininess of the low reeds to really just bring everything out and just, like, make that a foundational thing. And this trumpet solo and flugelhorn solo, it's just, it's, it's awesome. It's amazing. And so, yeah, man, he's not wrong. I didn't like this piece at first. Um, I don't know why, but it's just, it's so smooth and it's so confusing <laughs> how he's able to make it so smooth when there's so many, like, abrasive instruments being used and also, like, the high dynamics that are still like being held but it's just like how he the ranges he chooses to use for each instrument and how clearly each melodic line just like pulls out it's just you can't can't tell me there's something wrong with this piece and there's just so much like it's not like a straightforward piece like, every step you take in this piece is, is something different. It's... Like, you you could play this piece probably 40 times in your life. Like, as a conductor, you can conduct this piece 40 times in your life and do a full score study each time, and you'll find something new every time. It's just, there's something crazy about this piece. It's just so lovely. Well, that was our final piece, but thank you for joining me. It was such a blast, like, hearing some of that music, and I've gotten... We've gotten a fair share of jazz these last few weeks, which has been kind of nice, too. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great. It's been really fun. All right. So that was saxophonist and music educator Manny Green. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Tonal Identity and enjoy the rest of your morning, afternoon and evening. <laughs>